That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Hey, this is Liv Warfield, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada, Muses, with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx, the podcast that celebrates the women of rock and roll. Interviews, stories, and fabulous fun. So, grab those backstage passes and let's get to our show. Welcome to Muses, the podcast that explores the often overlooked stories and contributions of women in music history. I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx. Today, we've come together for a very special occasion, and that's to mark what would have been Jimi Hendrix's 78th birthday on November 27th. This year, on November 27th, Kiss the Sky will be playing an upcoming live stream to honor Jimi's birthday. It will air on Facebook and other platforms. Leading up to the special event, we had a conversation with Rosalie Brooks and Greg Wright. Rosalie Brooks locked eyes with Jimi Hendrix on New Year's in 1963, and it was love at first sight. Cosmically connected, the two went on to write and record My Diary and UT together, forming both a romantic and musical partnership. Rosa began singing at the age of two, and thankfully she hasn't stopped. Mentored by Etta James, she brought everything full circle later on when she'd invite musicians into her home and inspire them. I heard that she even had Jimmy Blue and Kiss the Sky over to her house. She cooked them an amazing meal while they rehearsed at her place and jammed with her band. Speaking of her band, let's talk about Greg Wright, who joined us in his studio. He is, hands down, one of the most talented and innovative guitar players out there, and we can't wait for his new album, Big Dog Bargain, to be released in early 2021. You can really feel the chemistry between Rosa and Greg, and I can't wait to see them perform live together. Greg has worked with many of the greats, including Michael Jackson. In this episode, he actually tells us a hilarious story about when Michael, yeah, Michael Jackson, told him to show off his stuff in front of Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) This episode has it all. Amazing stories of rock and roll past, honoring the present, and being hopeful and optimistic for the future. We hope you enjoy it. 
We are so grateful to Rosa and Greg for this conversation. You can find Rosa on Facebook and at rosaliebrooks.com. You can find Greg online as well, gregwright.com, and that's Greg with two Gs. Don't forget to follow Jimmy Blue and Kiss the Sky and tune in on November 27th to see the band perform live on stream in all their Jimi Hendrix glory. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome, Rosa Lee Brooks and Greg Wright to Muses Podcast. We're so happy to have you. And for those who are listening, perhaps on audio only, Greg is in his studio. He's got guitar in hand. So you may hear some wonderful sounds throughout, play some music during. And uh, I think that's actually a first for us. Usually we add in music from an MP3 or whatever it is. And this is actually a first time that we have a live musician and we're on episode 146. So thank oh, you. It's quite a pleasure to get to hear the music thank as you. it's happening for sure. This is great. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Good to be here. Rosa. We wanted to talk first a little bit about your history and your background. When did your musical career get started? And I read a little bit, it sounds like your family was very musical. I'm just curious how that all came about for you. Yes, um, my musical career, I have to say, started when I was about two years old. (laughs) Wow. Because at home, my family were, my, my mother and dad both were singers. Mom had a beautiful first soprano, and my dad, he could sing uh, baritone, tenor, alto. He had all the, he had all the keys, okay? And they would, they sang in church, but we also had music in our house all the time. Every day, the radio, uh, my mom had records, too, that she would play. And I was a two-year-old, and I remember singing everything that came on the radio word for word, note for note. And um, that's how, that's my beginning. And I love music. You know, it was like my house was always filled with music. So I grew up in that environment. And uh, along the way, when I got almost five years old, my mom, they had, the church was having a, contest for the children and uh they were singing of course so uh i sang a song called um yes jesus loves me and i won the contest yeah <laughs> uh i won a hundred dollars in a rocking chair really beautiful tall back wooden rocking chair it was i, I love that chair but i recall when I, after I sang that song, there were shimmering lights dancing on the top of my head. Energy. It was um, something uh, that had, you know, like a spirit uh, that had me just glowing. And uh, the people, the ladies in the church were singing amen and applauding and yes, Lord, and, and all that. And I'm here, a little little girl just grinning and just taking it all in. And uh, my mother recognized from that point that I wanted to sing. 
So all of her nurturing and guiding began. And I had to give her, plus my brother, who started playing guitar at 11, and we used to have jams with just me and him at my house. I played the keyboard and sang, and he played guitar. And we'd come home from school, and first thing we'd do was start playing some music. And uh, we'd always create songs, all kind of nutty songs and crazy gimmicky songs, every kind of, you know, crazy songs. But anyway, we had fun. We had a ball growing up doing music. And then uh, I went on because I had a my dad, he was a guitar player, and uh, he knew all the blues men back in the day. And they used to come over to our house and jam, you know, people like T-Bone Walker, Pee Wee Creighton, uh, Smokey Hogs, uh, even Johnny Guitar Watson. Wow. Johnny Guitar Watson was a young brother. And uh, he took an interest in me when I was about 15. Um, that's when he was coming. And I, he took me on my first blues uh debut uh he, he my parents let me go and they felt you know they trusted that i would be safe with with his care and so we went out to this place called johnson's ranch way out in paris california and uh that's when i sang Aretha franklin song called um today i sang the blues and the people just loved it. They were, you know, again, that applause and all that uh, beautiful energy that was just engulfing me. And uh, I just kept going. I've been going ever since. I'm 77 now. And I just feel good. You know, I love to sing and I look forward to when this pandemic is over <laughs> so that we can get back doing what we love. Yeah, there's nothing like being in like a live music experience. I I miss going to concerts so much as well. It's just the energy. Uh, yeah. It's it is like going to church. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's like all the things that you want to feel is right there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Who were some of your greatest influences and mentors? Well, I just named one of them. That was Johnny Guitar Watson, uh, who took me uh, as a teenager to do different things musically and supported me and had all this confidence. He was like a big papa or somebody to me. He wasn't that much older than I was, but he still, like, he was a big brother to me. And uh, then, of course, uh, when I was about seven, six or seven years old, Miss Etta James uh, was my mentor. Uh, she used to live in a house uh, near my house, a couple of doors away. And her and uh, the guy, Richard Berry, who had a few hits out, Louie Louie was one of them, and Pretty Girls was another one. But they had some songs that they put out together, Etta James and, and Richard Berry. One of them was called, um, what was it? Annie Had a Baby. And Work With Me Henry. Those were some of the old blues uh, songs that they put out early on. But as a child, I was able to sit on her porch 
while they created and put all this music together and did what they were doing musically. And she would always tell me, you can stay as long as you guys be quiet, you know. So we, we were quiet because we loved what we were, we were involved in and engaged in at the time. And that was the best place. That was the best seat in the house right there on the porch, you know, years in. Ah. And uh, she was the best definitely uh, when I was around 15, she gifted me with that album that had over 20 different songs on it called At Last. Yeah, that album had like Sunday kind of love, uh, my dearest darling at last. Uh, uh, um, shoot, gosh, I can't even name all the songs. It was like everything on there was a hit, yeah. but it was like I say about twenty songs. And I on the weekends, I had my own stereo in my bedroom, and I used to put that album on in heavy rotation play one side, flip it over, play the other side, and flip it back. Because that's how, you know, and I didn't realize at the time that I was being, uh, you know, I was learning. I was learning how to praise. I was learning everything about singing from my mentor. Mm -hmm. Because today people tell me, you remind me of Etta James when you sing. And I didn't know that all that listening that I was doing was, was you know, just... Soaking it in. We're, we're, we're soaking it all in, yeah. 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 And just at your house, too, with all these musical geniuses around. Oh, man. You know what? It's been a blessing to live in L.A. and in the neighborhoods that I've lived in because I was around people like, uh, the Platters, the Coasters, the Flares, James Brown and the Famous Flames when he before became the other name that he came. Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, uh, the Penguins, remember a song called Earth Angel? They put out that song way back in the day. And um, all of these people were coming up like flowers in the neighborhood. Our community was loaded with talent. As, you know, and um, still today, it's the same way. You know, there's so, so many people are influenced. I've had, ever since I lived in the house that I live now, which is over 50 years, I've had jams and tell you, there have been many, many young people in the neighborhood who have been influenced by what they hear coming out of my house. So it's, it's uh, like we're... We're passing it on generation after generation, you know, because I had it when I was a kid. You know, I was around the corner from one of the fam most famous uh, club nightclubs in, in L.A. called the Five Four Ballroom. And they had top of the line artists like Ike and Tina Turner, uh, Billy Eckstein, Arthur Prysock, uh, James Brown and Famous Flames again. And, Oh, the list goes on and on. Mongo Santa Maria, when he was all into the Latin rhythms and stuff. Cal Jader. Those people were all uh, fixtures in the neighborhood that I lived in, in that plan at that club. So, you know, all those things that I was able to, music is, is, is uh, medicine, it's food, it's, it's, it's healing. 
it's everything. Some people uh, run from it, and some people embrace it. And uh, I'm a, I'm of that group. <laughs> you know, I embraced it totally. Yeah. I live oh, eat, yeah. eat dream music. You know, that's what I do. You've really brought it full circle. Yeah. Gorgeous. Still gonna like I. Everybody say when you gonna retire? When you gonna stop? I tell them I'll keep on rolling till the wheels fall off. <laughs> that's what's so great about music too. It's like what do you mean retire? It's not like like a physical type of job like it's always going to be in you it's in you for life you know right right. Uh, what a magical time to grow up I can't even imagine being around those people and seeing everyone and uh and they all became yeah all of them it's oh and then here's the other part that's amazing um later on as I uh, uh continued on my career path um Hosea Wilson of Motown was the one who, when I was like 18, he took me to different places to go and debut and sing and all that. And he became world famous with the Motown operation. But in the meantime, um, I kept going. I got into some groups and stuff. Like um, early on uh, in 63, actually, I got into this all-female group called uh, The Ribbons. And I wasn't the original lead singer. She passed away. Uh, but they replaced her with me. And so we were, like, ooh, working, just hitting all every... We had all types of engagements. I mean, wonderful stuff happening. Even the Dick Clark show happened for us. Nice. And um, we had three chart hits out at the time. Wow. And they're all on, uh, you can look them up, but uh, we were uh, we were doing our thing, you know. But what happened with that group, um, I want to say <laughs> she was the lady that was the lead uh, leader of the group was a very domineering type of person, controlling and uh, whip-cracking person, okay? <laughs> <laughs> to the point where you know, I felt like my freedom was being taken hmm. because I've always been a free spirit. Yeah. I always did what I wanted to do, sing the way I want to sing and uh, express what I wanted to express. Uh, I never had anybody to dictate what I, how I should do anything or, or any of that, you know, and I developed my own uh, way of, I mean, I learned to project, I learned to emphasize, I learned to do everything, improvise, everything I learned about singing, I learned on my own. And of course, I listened to others, you know, I love Nancy Wilson, Sarah Vaughn, of course, Etta James was my mama. And, um, you know, I continued to study under my peers, Aretha Franklin, too. That was my girl. Um, so all those things I learned about singing, uh, I just felt like I don't need somebody telling me how to sing. Yeah. So we were together for about eight months, I think. And then um, the party was over. Mm -hmm. 
the girl that uh, joined the group with me, she and I became a duo. And uh, we went on to try to do a few things. We, we got hooked up with some producers and did a song called Big City Guy. I don't know whatever happened to that song, but we had fun in the recording studio doing it. And uh, that was all out in Hollywood and stuff. I'm mentioning that because if you're out there, I'm still here. <laughs> okay, pass that message on. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Greg, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you feel about sharing a bit of your musical journey or are you more comfortable playing music today? Um, mm. How much would you like to share about yourself? My experience is very similar to Rose's in the sense that uh, my dad probably had better now deeper knowledge of music than most musicians uh, even though he didn't play and uh that's it we just grew up with records and music and man uh, oh no i'm an air force brat so did you grow up in the la heard, area you know, as my well my dad was bringing home records from overseas you know oh. i mean oh all over jazz blues rock and roll soul and then, I mean, things as far removed as, you know, Bedouin tribesmen chants. I mean, we were just hearing all. And uh, I just kind of absorbed it all. So did my brother. My brother did the same thing. He absorbed <laughs> everything. Photographic memory, musically. But I, I, I picked yeah. up guitar when I was about 13, 14. Wow. And it was just a hobby because I was really into athletics. I wanted to be a, a football player or a baseball player or something. And I was really putting all my energy into that. And then one night, one summer night, yeah, some friends asked me if I wanted to go to the Hendrix concert. And I said I would go. So I went along and yeah, Went and prom promptly got my head blown apart. And I never wanted to play sports ever again. And then I, I went home and I told my dad. I said, Dad. He said, oh, he asked me, he said, how was the concert, son? And I said, well, football's over. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I said man, I'm, I said, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to play guitar. I'm going to play music. That's what I'm going to do. And I haven't looked back since. Very, very. He's a little taken aback at first, you know. But, was uh, he supportive? When he saw that I locked myself Fantastic. in my room and would rehearse or practice every day, all day, he knew I wasn't kidding. And uh, since he was a patron of the arts, he got behind me. He was, he was my biggest supporter, really. Yeah, that's that's important, you know, because wow. uh, our dads it, it are gives actually you a little, our a little biggest encouragement as well. to yeah. push forward, you know. And uh, you know, all my musician friends, man, their parents are like, ah, you know, musicians, I'm a dozen, yeah. and yeah, uh, 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 you know, you're gonna end up on the streets and all this kind of stuff. And my dad was never like that. He just said, man, he said, you just make sure <laughs> you're three times a guitar player of anybody you come across. 
Nice. Good <laughs> advice. And, and I could say, is it my turn? I, yeah. I want to say Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he is. Yeah. You know, like I was saying, he's like the second coming of Jimmy for me. Because there's nothing of that, you know, like he doesn't play Jimmy note for note, but he could. Yeah. If he wanted to. He puts his own flavor on it, which I love. And we do a lot of tributes as well, you know. So when his birthday and his memorials come around, that's why we were okay to want to do yours because this is something that we love doing. Yeah. And uh, to be able to to pay homage to him and uh, honor him and know that the influence that Greg um, was was kicked in high gear from seeing uh, 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 Jimmy Hendrix perform that. That baseball day evening at the where were you, Greg? Yeah, I came. I came. Whoever I was when I sat down at first, yeah. that wow. guy disappeared in the middle of the show, <laughs> and he never came back. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play us if if it's okay? What what y'all want to hear? Voodoo child. No one played like Thanks. Jimmy. Like, what a Whoa. style he had. Wow, wow, wow. And speaking of Jimmy, since thank we're on you. the subject. And yes, thank you so much, Greg. That was amazing. 
Rosa, take us back to New Year's Eve, 1963. Okay. Um, that was right. As I said, uh, the young lady that uh, was in the ribbons group with me, we decided we didn't go out Christmas, but we decided we were going to go out for New Year's and bring it in. So there was a popular club that we used to attend called the California Club right in our community. So we went to bring in the new year. And uh, Ike and Tina Turner and their 28-man review were uh, performing that evening. Oh, man, what a show they were putting on. I bet. We had, up, we had a table right up front where we could see uh, the whole show, we could, all the girls, you know, like we could almost reach out and touch them. That was how close they were, slinging their hair, and they had on all those, um, what do you call those fringe dresses, the shimmy dress. Nice. They were wearing those beautiful dresses and, you know, just working it. I mean, that energy was amazing. You want to talk about some energy, you know, I mean, and um, not only were they, uh, they energized the whole room. Yeah, where anybody who loved music, who was an artist, who wanted to do, I mean, there you have it. Do that, okay? That's what it was saying to me, you know, that. But anyway, while I'm sitting there, I kept feeling like a command or demand or something to tell me to turn around. And so I kept feeling that, something telling me, just turn around, you know, like a demand. So I finally, I turned around. And there was this man that was so handsome, staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> We were staring, look, we, you know, I can't stare long at anything, <laughs> especially cats. <laughs> but anyway, we were staring at each other for so long until I had to turn around and stop, you know, just turn around and turn back around and watch the show <laughs> because it was too much. So I said, uh, but when I turned around, I said, damn, he was good. He was fine. <laughs> And so I turned around and I started watching the show again and I forgot all about him. <laughs> I did. I actually just, you know, I turned around, we stared at each other and then I turned back around and started watching the show. And about 10, 15 minutes later, I had to go to the lounge. So uh, when I stood up, I noticed he stood up. He was right against the wall to the back of the in exit where I was, was going to go. And anyway, when I stood up, he stood up. And as I grew near to him, you know, he was just standing there. And so when I got close enough, he reached out and grabbed me. Everybody talking about how shy he was. He wasn't shy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, he wanted me to come join him at his table. He asked, that's what he asked. So I told him I would. And, um, he had to let me go, though, because I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when I came back, I, I got right near where he was sitting, because he was sitting in the last booth up against the wall. 
And uh, he stood up. He, when I came, he stood back up and ushered me into sit down. And then he sat down next to me. And then he flagged over the uh, waitress, getting me a drink. Um, we exchanged our names with each other while the waitress was gone. And um, he told me his name was uh, James Marshall. And I've always called him James Marshall. Uh, I love that name. Uh, um, but he said, just stay, you know, he was Jimmy. So anyway, I, I got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know. But anyway, that evening went turned into um, an evening we spent together watching Ike and Tina, getting to know each other. I felt like I had known him all my life. So special. Felt a presence. You know, he had a very strong presence, and so do I. So we were just two spirits right there together, just uh, uh, building whatever it was we were building. But it turned into uh, a very romantic, uh, spiritual connection and I always tell people I believe it was ordained by God because I used to dream about him I used to see his face in dreams and like when I was a little young kid in elementary school every boy that I liked looked like him <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like uh, there's a picture of him <clears throat> at his school and I swear, it, it, I had so many crushes on, on boys that looked just like him. So anyway, like I said, it was ordained as far as I'm concerned. Because like I said, I dreamed about him. I saw him in, in visions and everything before we ever met. And like, it, it was like we were related we were from the same time. We were uh, musically, spiritually, and romantically connected in every way. So we were able to uh, be together that evening. We went to a restaurant, had food, dinner first, and then um, we went to his place. And um, <laughs> uh, the day of the new year, January the 1st, was when our song was born in my diary. That's amazing. I didn't realize it was like immediate that you guys uh, were like writing. Yeah, it was, we was grown, okay? <laughs> we was doing what grown folks do, okay? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, that love at first sight, it really happens. Yeah. You know? People, pe people uh, some people believe in it, some people don't. But as I said, I feel like I've known him all my days. Yeah. And he's like my mother and my, and here's the real strange part. Jimmy was in the 101st Airborne Station in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So was my brother James, the one who played guitar. Wow. How about this? They met before we did. No way. Two people from the same family in two different places meet. 
ah. and become close friends. Wow. Jimmy and my brother were like brothers together. Both of them, and it's so strange. Both of them was named James. Both of them Sagittarians, and both of them played guitar. Ah. How about that? And they used to go out. They used to go out on um, to some of them chiseling circuit spots. And uh, Jimmy went AWOL, as a matter of fact. You know, he had let his hair grow real long. This is a story from my brother. But I didn't know all these things about Jimmy until I took Jimmy over to my brother to meet him because he had all this equipment over there. So Jimmy wanted to jam. And so we went over you know, to, to go jam. And as soon as he opened the door, lo and behold, hey, man, you know, they were all excited with each other. They was like surprised to see each other. You mean, you know, and it was like so much energy right there with, between the two of them seeing each other again in, in a, a long time that they hadn't. And they shook hands and embraced and was glad to see each other and talk. And uh, my brother, of course, he was um, worked for Regal Shoes downtown, and he hadn't really pursued the music. And that's what he was telling Jimmy that went in their conversation that um, he was, uh, you know, not doing music. And Jimmy told him that he was traveling with Little Richard's band, part of the uh, Upsetters, one of the guitar players, the Upsetters band, and that. Uh, they went on. We we had a good time playing music that day. It was just so so nice, really nice. I used to do a lot of Ike and Tina Turner stuff, you know. So there was um, it's gonna work out fine. And uh, uh, shoot, uh, it was so many things that I used to do of hers. But uh, we had a ball back in the day wow. while he was here. And those songs that you recorded and that you wrote with. Jimmy, what do they mean to you today? Well, I tell you, and I and I didn't know because this is the thing. I knew Jimmy was in trouble over there in, in Europe, right? And I started having premonitions about him oh. that he wasn't his life was in danger. So one day I was right here in my dining room, wiping off. I had a glass top table and I was windexing the table. And they were playing his music on the radio. And I'm just digging it and enjoying all of the stuff that he had done and feeling so proud for him that he had made it. You know, like that's, that's my guy that he made it. You know, he's doing, he's doing his thing, you know, and all those songs that they played, I enjoyed every one of them. And so at the fourth one, the man, the announcer came in and said, you've been listening to the late Jimi Hendrix. My knees buckled and I went to the floor. I pulled myself up by the chair and sat down and realized I said, nobody is ever gonna know Nobody's ever going to know our story. This is the true LA story that I'm sharing with. He was with me the whole time he was here. There was no Arthur Lee. He didn't write nothing. 
<laughs> like he claimed. Uh, he was a song thief. Hmm. was a good musician in his own right. He was very talented. But definitely he was not R&B. And definitely I never heard of a man writing a song about a diary. <laughs> Yeah. It's a girl song, okay? It's my song. I wrote it. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jimmy started the song out. He said, I know that I will never love again. I know that I will be my only friend. And then I came in with, but if I could, I'd like for you to see the love sickened image I've turned out to be. And that's how that song began in Jimmy's hotel room at the Wilcox. So if Arthur Lee wrote anything, he had to be a fly on the wall to do it. And I just want to get that, set the record straight on that because many people still feel and still believe and still are gullible enough to really think he wrote that song. Yeah. And I have always have to tell them, well, I own the copyrights and I hold the master still. So why would I be given a master? Yeah. And why would I have the copyrights? Exactly. Yeah. It's so important too, so, to like, let's not erase women's history and music like that. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I see a lot of things. I'm so glad I'm doing this with you today. Uh, because I've seen a lot of things going on with uh, his legacy that I don't like, which will be coming forth in my my bio biography that I'm writing. Good. Uh, seen the treatment uh, of, of of one group against the other, and how they try to um, make him Eurocentric and take away his identity. And he wasn't African American; he had to be an Indian for, and that was only to make him more palatable to them. You know, not. Uh, that he was, you know, we're all 116th. I'm 116th. Greg is 116th. We're all 116th Cherokee or Blackfoot or something up in here. So, I mean, but he's an African-American. Mm -hmm. And I have my Jimi Hendrix's brother and I um, in 92 when he got his star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. I met Leon and we visited, he visited me here at my home. And we came up with Bring Jimmy Black because he was trying to get home before they took him out. He was trying desperately to get back to his roots. That's why he was working with people like uh, the Aileen twins and Juma Sultan. Buddy Miles and Billy Cox and all the brothers that, you know, that he wanted to work with and do music with. That's where he was trying to go. And another thing about his music is that a lot of lies and myths and rumors had got put out about him not wanting to uh, do R&B music anymore and him not you know, wanting to be bothered with uh, playing behind other people and stuff. But when you look at the pictures, the pictures tell the story and they tell the truth. Yeah. He was having a ball. Okay. 
And uh, not only that, any musician worth his salt will tell you that his music is rooted in R&B. Absolutely. That's a fact. Yeah. Uh. So all this claiming and trying to, you know, make him something he's not or that you're trying to flip the script on who he was as a musician and all as a person and every in every way possible but i people you know people like uh greg and jimmy blue and stan skibby and so many others that i know that are have been influenced by jimmy hendrix and they weren't given the same opportunities of course uh, the door was closed. Okay. Oh, no, you can't play rock. Hey, well, if Jimmy was rock, <laughs> okay, what was that? Where did that come from? Came from him. Yeah. And he happened to be an African-American too. So it's like DNA. Okay, check the DNA out on these brothers because they bring it naturally. Greg brings it naturally. That's why I love him so much and that's why I enjoy working with him. We do kind of, we, we are so eclectic. I want you to see my website. I talk about these things on my website and um, the fact that we enjoy and just expand on every creative thing that we can. You know, we take music to all levels. You know, we're not stuck in anything. You know, I won't let you, I have been labeled a blues artist but I'm an eclectic artist. I do everything. Yeah. I might sing just another day for you and me in paradise. <laughs> you know, I might sing anything, you know? So that don't Since don't lock me in no language. box because I get out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you're true to it, you just speak the language, irrespective of what box you're supposed to belong to, which I always found just to be, if I may be frank, bullshit. <laughs> you know, the greatest freedom I've ever had as an artist you may be. is not being yes, associated with a major record label. I was associated with three major, three major record deals here in LA. Yeah. Under my own name. And each time, the bigger the label got, the more miserable the experience was. And finally, after the last record I did for a major label that shall remain nameless, that has the uh, initials WB. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that stands for Wretched Bastards. Oh, great. Okay. Anyway, uh, I just decided, man, I'm, I'm not bleeding all over the floor for these damn people anymore because, A, they don't respect what mm -hmm. I do. B, they don't understand what I do. And I never wanted to be a quote-unquote rock and roll star or any of that. You know, what is that? That's like, that's up there with uh, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. It's like just some mythical cartoon character, you know. What do I do? Yeah, what's a rock star do? I throw TVs out the window for a living, you know. 
like the no, wizard. I, I'm the a wizard. That's what I do. I, I'm involved wholeheartedly, yeah. <laughs> in a complete being in the craft of making music. And that uh, that means blues, rock and roll, jazz, R and B, hell, even country and western if if the if the situation calls for it. You know, so I've been much happier and much more complete. Uh, just sticking to my guns. And I don't want man, I don't know. Uh, no. It's like and, that free spirit thing, you know? Right. You can't exactly. have Absolutely. people and telling I you always what to Hollywood do or who you are. Only you know that. in the eye and say, I don't want shit you have. There's nothing you can, there's nothing you have that's going to corrupt me or me. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't, they never could. They never could, you know, there's and, uh, nothing scarier when they can't follow my you. instinct. I've had a much uh, greater career uh, than yeah. anybody could ever want. Just be strong. Stand up to them because they're 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 just That's a mirage. I always think of always trust. Always think of the the Toto moment in the Wizard of Oz. Right, you pull the curtain away, and it's some frightened little asshole going. Nah, 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 nah. Don't mind that man behind the curtain. You know. Yeah. That's who they. Yeah. <laughs> That's who they are. You know. But when the curtain's drawn, you know, they have this big voice. You know, you gotta do exactly. this for your career. Exactly. Man, who are you? Yeah. 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 Like today, you gotta get naked. You gotta be vulgar. You gotta be uh, explicit with trash. And all we have, you've redirected our music to become nothing but trash. You love selling and making money off trash. All of the good stuff that we do, like Greg and myself, Greg's got a hell of an album that's coming out. Uh, does, do we have time for him to just play a little bit of it? Are yes, we do. Yeah, and then we'll ask you a couple of questions about the upcoming show with Jimmy right. Bia. And so those are the last things we have to go. So awesome. we'll hear a song, awesome. couple more questions, if that's okay with you. Yes, ma'am. And then all day. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I'm willing and I'm eight. Okay. <laughs> Great. I'm watching a beautiful sunset uh just awesome. beyond my computer. And I just go, I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> Talk to Talk well, to I'm, you. I'm glad to be able to talk to you because there's been um, Greg and I and the band that I have, the guys that work with us, they are phenomenal. Me, all every last one of them, I love them like brothers. You know, I come from a family with four brothers. My, I, they always treated me. They let me rule them. I was the little princess. And now they treat mm -hmm. me like the queen. Okay. But anyway, these guys do the same thing. They let me rule them. I don't try to rule them too hard because I respect them as men. And I want them to be free spirits like I'm a free spirit. And I'm not going to try to take anything away from them. I'll give them, but I'll never take. So that's who I am. And we are a force to be reckoned with. The Brooks Project, we are 
uh, a resident downtown LA at a place called the Seven Grand. We've been we're going in, and when the new year comes, twenty twenty one comes, we'll be back hopefully because they got all this pandemic all gone. Yeah. But we we have been five years down there now. Wow. That, that uh, we're residents that we play and uh, people come down and get fed spiritually, musically, and otherwise. You know, because we might, we, we, you know, we give it to them, you know, like, and Greg is a talent in his own right, and together, we are forced to be reckoned with. Yeah, and I I'm going to play uh, this little song that, uh, you ready, babe? The song is called, Have You Ever Seen the Wind? And what, what that's alluding to is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a religious guy, yes, but I am a spiritual right. guy. And it's just addressing how certain people only believe what they can see. But there is massive, colossal spiritual and universal power in things that we can't see. And I use the wind as an example. Nobody on this earth has ever seen the wind. But you've seen what it does. It can make it can make hundred foot waves in the open ocean. Mm -hmm. It can uh, yeah. it, over time it can shape complete mountain ranges, or it can rip the roof off your house. Whatever you you know. So that's all. I'm just asking. Have you ever seen the wind? So uh, uh -huh. let me know if you can hear this, uh -huh. okay? And if you can't, I'll make an adjustment.
I would wow. like to pre-order the album. All right. Hey, hey, all right. Okay. Beautiful. So I'll wow. have that. Wow, I'll, wow, I'll put wow. that on my record player any did, day. And did, did we mention the fact that Greg has been um, very, very, uh, well, how can I say this? He's done some great things in his life musically and played with some really great, phenomenal people. I don't know if any of that got mentioned before, but people like uh, Mick Fleetwood, wow. Michael Jackson playing on the uh, stage on the, on the um, tour, the Victory Tour with Van Halen and, and Greg on stage uh, together. I We're saw that. that up, okay? I just want y'all to know that this man is overqualified on the guitar. <laughs> he ain't no joke, wow. okay? Never. I, I saw that online, and truly, it is an honor to be speaking and in the presence Toronto of both of you. So thank you so much again. Yes. And I'm freezing up. Right. Yeah. No, man, that was rough. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, you don't want an outdoor pretty, one uh, right now. Pretty on top of my appearance, you know, because you know it's show business. So you got, you know, you got to, you kind of got to represent. And we got out there, and that water was blowing off that Lake Ontario. That wind was blowing off that Lake Ontario, mm -hmm. like. And I remember my strings feeling like icicles and my, my fingers went numb immediately. <laughs> and it was so cold that I put on thermal underwear over my costume. I didn't care. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. what Canadians do. <laughs> But anyhow, um, Rosa, um, you mentioned Jimmy Bleu. I'm oh, sorry, I'm yeah. French. Jimmy Bleu. Yes, I love <laughs> and, him. I love him so much. That is my guy. I had a chance to see his show. He came here in 2016, and they did a thing at um, the Whiskey. Yes. And that's the one you missed, Greg. I was trying to get Greg to, to come be with us, but he couldn't make it on that time. But that show was something out of, oh my God, you know, like phenomenal. It was a great show. What he does with two different, you know, he plays half of it is with with the, the experience and half of it is with the band of gypsies and each one of them take you there each each performance with both elements were on point and every tune he played every move he made in the band they looked apart the those guys you know they you know they look great yeah. up there i mean and i'm so proud of him because 
he's got a hell of a job. You know, and I hope that he continues as long as he can to do it, you know, because he's got a really wonderful, you know, unlike some of, you know, I've, I've over time, I've met a lot of uh, cats that do Hendrix tributes and stuff, but he's got an A1 show. I saw a photo of you. I believe it was at that show, front of the stage, just smiling ear to ear. <laughs> well, let me tell you about that picture that's standing in front of the stage like that, looking up at Jimmy Blue. That is deja vu for me because that's the way the same corner and the same look, looking up at the stage at Jimi Hendrix himself performing. That's what that took me to, because it was like I said, deja vu. The first time I ever saw Jimi Hendrix, he was with the Little Richards Band, and they were doing a thing out of this place called uh, the Golden Bear. And I got him, I did his hair, I gave him a blouse of mine to wear. That's, that's how he started wearing women's blouses, because of me. Of course. And there I, you gave go. A white I gave him a white puffy sleeve blouse with pointed uh, 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 collar, and uh, they had cuff, cuff links on it, too. But uh, I gave him that white blouse and a little black bolero with some stamp roses with green leaves on them, velvet. And I uh, did his hair, and he would let me comb curls out because he didn't want them. To, he wanted them locked in first, and he said, "I'll comb it out later. Let's let's not comb it out right now." But anyway, he told me, "Honey, I'm gonna show you something." <laughs> Boy, did he ever! Everybody was standing with their mouths dropped when he stepped out on that corner of that stage, like Jimmy Blue was standing on that picture, and he started playing with his teeth behind his back, between his legs. He had rubbed it up against the, the microphone stand and he was doing all the stops. Not, he pulled out all the stops. But guess what? He got in the world of trouble out after the show because <laughs> Little Richard had him at a meeting. You know, we, couldn't, <laughs> we, couldn't, hey, we couldn't even leave because we had to wait on him to get, get to getting his ass to him. Okay, <laughs> cause he was asking him, "What you doing wearing them clothes? I'm the star here. You don't be upstaging me, you know." And um, he, I'm gonna find you for that. He was finding five dollars for, for wearing the clothes, and uh, you know he put on a hell of a, a performance that night. Like I said, everybody was standing there with their jaws. Just couldn't believe what they had with uh, uh. He, he, he was intimidated by nobody. <laughs> it's oh, almost yeah. like when you stood on stage next to him, oh, yeah. it was almost like stepping into yeah. a fatal laser light. You know? And he didn't he he encouraged you to dress. He encouraged you to be outrageous. Uh, wow. man, one night he came up to me and he goes, he said, Eddie, he said, I'm gonna I need to talk to you for a minute. I said, Okay, fine. He said, Eddie's coming tonight. I said, Eddie, who? He said, Van Halen. I said, oh, really? Cool. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to get a chance to see this cat up close because I'm always interested in guitar players and what they do, their methods. And, and uh, Michael looked at me with this sort of deadly serious look, and he goes, I want you to do everything. 
to me. I want you to go crazy. Yeah, man. I want you to do all that <laughs> stuff you do, you know. Playing the guitar behind your head and playing the guitar with your teeth and the splits and all this crazy stuff. He said, I want you to do it. I just, and, you know, he wasn't doing it from a malicious place. He just felt like that was just going to help make a great show. That's what, That was always his aim, to have a great show. And uh, I went out there and did all that stuff, but uh, I don't think Edward appreciated it. I think he felt like I was trying to make a, a, a <laughs> reputation at his expense, but I wasn't. I was just doing what my employer asked me to yeah. do. Yeah. No, you can't say no to that guy. Yeah. Can't say no to that guy. Oh, that's good. How can you say no? How could you have said no? Uh-huh. So this is an ingredient that Michael had and and we have because Greg and I work as a team and we, you know, work off of each other. You know, it's like, do your thing to the utmost. I'm looking for it. I want it. I want you to do it every step of the way and vice versa. He encourages me in the same way. And we do our best work. I think we do our best work together. I'm just so very proud to be with, be to have him as a partner to work with. And uh, I'll love to share a stage with him anytime. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, before we let you guys go, we just want to mention that November 27th, Kiss the Sky is playing an upcoming live stream in honor of Jimmy's birthday. We, yeah, we are on and it's going to be on, on Facebook, it. other platforms. I've already got it. Um, yeah, just yeah. Uh, is there anything you'd like to speak on about that or in reflection of uh, Jimmy's 78th? Yeah, well, our birthdays, we were the same age for a couple of months. Like right now, he's still 77. And at the end of, uh, on the 27th, he'll be 78. That's how close our birthdays are. And actually, like in the song, My Diary, we discovered that our birthdays are on the same day. <laughs> every year. Look at it. October wow. 16th, November 27th always falls on the same day. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. That, that is very, I'm saying there's a lot of ironies, a lot of first. First time he ever went in the studio was with me. I made that possible. I made uh. that happen. I knew the person that uh, was the producer and uh took us in and, and, and recorded. We, we approached him at the California club one night when we were just hanging out and we told him we had a song and he said he'd love to hear it. And that's how we got recorded. You know, that whole recording session happened as because we went one, I guess it was Blue Monday or something like that. And he asked us to, can, can we come over to his place Wednesday to let him hear it? So Jimmy and I went over with his guitar on his back and we went over to his place and his wife and another guy was there. They had one of those ranch style kitchens, you know, with the, with the bar where you could sit at the bar, at the counter, I mean. And so uh, we performed the song, they loved it. And then they asked, did we know any more uh, musicians or singers? And at the time we were hanging out with um, 
Major Lance was in town for the new year. And his band, uh, we, because we hung out and party with them, they played at Ciro's in Hollywood. So we, we, uh, we hung out with the band members because Jimmy had no problem going backstage, introducing himself to, you know, cast and getting to know people. So we got invited to party with him after the show. So we got a chance to meet uh, Big Francis. He was a drummer and Alton was the bass player. So when this thing came up and we was hanging out with the, with them, you know, cause they didn't have transportation. They were living at the Franklin Hotel on Yucca in Hollywood. I used to, you know, me and Jimmy used to go over there uh, go get food and we came come back and hang out with them or take them places and you know show them Hollywood and Sunset take a drive and you know just do a lot of fun things together but when the session came about uh, we asked them to do the session with us and they had no trouble no charge they were glad to do it wow would you like to end this by given us a little bit of my diary. I appreciate it all you guys thank y'all so much this has been a pleasure to share this time with you and be able to talk about a subject that i love talking about. <laughs> i feel like there's so much more Fantastic. we could talk about too but maybe another time we can uh, get together yeah we can do a yes. follow-up but let me just say in parting to the folks out there in facebook land and uh I'm on Facebook if you want to look me up on there, but I also have a website, rosaliebrooks.com backslash, and you'll get me. Perfect. We will add that to our notes. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to mention before we say goodbye? Oh, uh, gregwright.com. And it's Greg with two Gs. Perfect. And we'll add that in as well. Rosa, I cannot wait to read your book and really read everything about your life. That is what my dreams are made of. So keep going. <laughs> well, keep on, keep on following your dreams and 
making them happen. That's all anybody can do. That's why we're here. We all have been given gifts of various kinds and we need to put them to good use. Don't just sit on them, sit on them and ignore them or let them go dormant. You need to act every day and keep on finding your niche and keep on doing just like you guys got this wonderful uh, show that you're doing here. You know, just keep Thank that you. up. I love it. Thank you know, you. and I'm proud to be a part yeah. of it. Thank, Thank you, you so both much. so much for spending an afternoon with us. This has been great. Okay. Muses is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Lynx O'Leary and is part of the Pantheon family of podcasts. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at pantheonpodcasts.com. All songs can be found wherever you get your music. Please download and purchase these great and important tracks. Come find us at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods or see us at R&R Archaeology on Instagram. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.